0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Join us for the WDET Book Club's next library event in St. Clair Shores on Monday, July 22nd at 6 p.m. You can meet up with us for the latest from Detroit Free Press columnist Nancy Kaffer and Elin Betanzo, who's a lifelong friend of Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, a former EPA worker and founder of Safe Water Engineering. Also joining us will be St. Clair Shores District 8 director david fisher we're going to talk uh, or continue the talk about dr Mona Hannah atisha's book what the eyes don't see which is the subject of our summer book club we're talking about water quality issues uh, the flint crisis itself and environmental issues all over uh, southeast michigan uh, join us again 6 p.m st Clair shore's public library on monday july 2nd we will see you there All right, today we want to talk about these remakes of Disney films. Of course, you've likely seen classics like Dumbo, Beauty and the Beast, The Jungle Book and Aladdin, but are you seeing these more current Disney remakes? There are more on the way too with The Lion King coming out this weekend and the news about the casting decision for a remake of The Little Mermaid. So what do you think of it all? Are you revisiting your childhood and hitting the theater when these films come out excitedly or are you reserved about Uh, the way that you take these in? Are you concerned maybe about the way that story and character and arc get recast often in these stories. We have heard a lot about controversy uh, emerging from some of these remakes with regard to the way that they have rethought character and story. That's what we want to talk about today, and we, of course, want to hear from you. Are you really into these Disney remakes? Are you excited to share them with your kids uh, as a different kind of story than what you might have remembered from when you were a child. Um, Are there things that are happening in these movies maybe that concern you just a little bit? Uh, Or are you somebody who says, look, they shouldn't be messing with these stories at all these stories uh, were the way that Disney cast them when I was a kid and they should be that way in perpetuity. Uh, we'd really love to hear how you're spending your summer at the movies with Disney. 3135771019 uh, is always the number on the phones. 3135771019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or you can go to Twitter And hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about uh, the world of Disney remakes is Dr. Miles McNutt. He is a media critic and assistant professor of communication and theater arts at Old Dominion University. Dr. McNutt, welcome
1: to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having
0: me. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think is going on with all of these remakes? They are certainly different than newer stories like Coco or Moana, but of course they are kind of a recast of, of childhood for people like me who grew up in the 70s uh, and 80s and remember some of these films, at least uh, in their original form. What, what is the, the thinking behind uh, this recasting?
1: I think there's two different arguments that you can make as to why these exist. One is very cynical, the other is only slightly cynical. I think the very cynical argument is that Disney as a corporation is investing in intellectual property. And it's about taking these franchises that have been so successful for them and finding new ways to iterate on them in order to reset the cycle of profiting off of them. And so every time they release a new movie, they're simultaneously looking at theme park attractions, merchandise, uh, bedding, clothes, everything they can do to sort of profit off of these in a horizontally integrated company where they're also running all these separate industries, video games, et cetera. And so – by remaking a live-action version of these films, it refreshes the film and allows them to sell new merchandise and to sell new home video releases and to sort of revitalize even the original film in terms of its DVD release, reminding people what they care about. And so cynically, we could say that it's very much a profit- motivated This is about industry. money. <laughs> and to be fair, everything about the media industry is about money. But yes. in this case in particular, Disney is such a huge conglomerate that runs this way, and it's so much about the merchandising and these ancillary businesses where they make their money. And certainly you have to look at Disney and think that you know. other than Dumbo, all of these films will have made close to a billion dollars or more um, to give you an indication of just their dominance in our current moment. They're all about the intellectual property, and this refreshes the value of that. That's the most cynical reading. Um, (laughs) The less cynical reading, I think, is what you referred to in the opening, which is that this is about refreshing things from our childhood that we grew up with. And so if we look at the four Sort of the early 1990s are considered the Disney renaissance in terms of hand-drawn animation. You have Lion King, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, and Aladdin. Those are sort of the big four uh, from that period. And those are not coincidentally for the first films that they're remaking. And it's about the idea that I saw those when I was in theaters as a kid. They meant a lot to me. And then it's like, but now I'm at an age where I could have kids, and that I might want to introduce those kids to those films, but I can show them them on DVD or on the new Disney Plus streaming service, which I'm sure Disney will be using this to help sell. But ultimately, the idea of going to the theater still has a certain appeal of taking your kids to their own cinematic experience, and that as a parent you're thinking, oh, well, I'm nostalgic for this thing. I want to be able to introduce my kids to that, I can also give them an experience of their own, give them their own Lion King, give them their own Beauty and the Beast, give them their own Aladdin. I think Disney is really banking on the money comes back in, uh, the value of that. But at the same time, there's sort of a notion of cultural refreshing, of sort of having a new version for a new generation of kids that allows them to have the same experiences that we had growing up. That's a slightly more optimistic, but still pretty cynical. Right.
0: (laughs) Right. So so I wonder if you can point to other parts of popular culture that do the same thing. I mean, it, this does seem to be an, an unusual space, if not unique, for Disney, which, uh, of course, is so influential and was so much a part of uh, people's childhood uh, f- for so many decades. I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine that almost any other company or sort of cultural marker has the same opportunity that Disney does to invite this kind of rethinking.
1: Right, and I think ultimately like the idea of rebooting and reviving things is certainly incredibly common in television. Um, all the time you hear of like, rebooting shows, mm-hmm. Hawaii 5 Magnum P.I. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the 70s, creating new versions for a new generation to be able to profit off an existing property that has value, that people know and understand, is less risky than creating new property. If it has existing brand recognition, it carries more value. But you're right that in terms of feature films, of taking something sort of so culturally iconographic, that's iconic, that sort of carries in the culture in a very real way, to then try to remake that, to do a new version of that, is definitely a, a tougher cultural project. It takes on greater weight, that you have something like The Lion King that was this hugely successful animated film, the highest grossing animated film for a long period of time, until you get to things like Finding Nemo over a decade later, that now you sort of start to figure out, okay... At this point, you're then taking this thing that people care so much about and bringing it back to life in a different form. There's a weight attached to that. There's a risk in terms of angering those fans, the people who have emotional connection to. I would argue that what Disney's doing is not that uncommon in the entertainment industry, but it's happening at such a larger scale that it feels weightier. It feels more consequential because of the cultural cachet that Disney holds. Is that when they make a decision like casting an African-American actress as Ariel, that that carries greater weight because of Disney's weight in the culture, mm-hmm. which we can critique in various ways um, in terms of the way Disney dominates the current box office landscape and the media industry broadly in terms of thinking about the weight of conglomeration affecting ownership. But at the end of the day, its cultural weight is still very real. We feel that. I grew up with Disney. I can't help that. Um, and I feel like it, for that reason, these it feels more consequential, even if the actual practice is something that other parts of the media industries try to accomplish every day. Yeah.
0: So let's break down some of the films that are being
1: remade. Uh, what,
0: for example, do you make of the Aladdin remake?
1: So I think what we can think about here in the circumstances sort of there's different reasons why to remake these films. So if you look at something like The Jungle Book or I'd argue The Lion King, these are stories primarily about animals, uh, primarily uh, circumstantial of here are these stories that were about this jungle, these sort of environments, let's reimagine them using today's technology. And so that's very much an issue of sort of saying the Lion King and Jungle Book are both made using sort of this amazing visual effects technology to create these virtual environments that seem like almost nature documentaries. It's a stunning visual feat and sort of gives you a new view of a story that for the most part is more or less the same. Neither Jungle Book or Lion King has significant story changes within it. By comparison, Aladdin is a very kind of trying to tell a different version of that story. And it's imagining sort of a live-action world where you start to think, okay, obviously no one can replicate Robin Williams, but what actors would we like to see play the genie in today's society? What about Will Smith? What if we reimagine the story in that way? And I think the other thing that Aladdin does, that I think kind of gives a sense of what they're trying with The Little Mermaid as well, is dramatically expanding the role of Jasmine in that story, um, taking a story in which the kind of lead female character was largely marginalized, given very little agency, sort of just a love interest for the male protagonist, to then reimagine that as being a story about her search for independence, uh, to add a song for her that is very much about expressing a very, I would argue, 21st century notion of sort of corporate feminism, that in so doing allows them to sort of seem more progressive and to sort of give young girls more of an entry point into a story that at the time was very clearly about Aladdin and about sort of this sort of male protagonist in a way a lot of these movies were. Hmm. Uh,
0: what about uh, The Jungle Book, the, w- which I have to say, when I was a kid, um, this was one of the stories that, that uh, I remember first uh, from Disney. I got a, a record. Uh, a recording of the Jungle Book for Christmas, I think, when I was five mm-hmm. or six, and uh, it was it was uh, it was one of those records that I just played over and over and over again, and all of the songs uh, from that uh, from that movie are still kind of running through my through my head. I enjoyed the remake of that a few years ago, which was kind of different, and of yeah. course uh, was was rendered. Quite differently. And that's one of the things that really stands out is what they're able to do visually with these stories now that they couldn't do when I was
1: young. And I think that's sort of part of the argument they're making, where it's like, we have this new technology, we can imagine these animals in a different way. And I think one of the central critiques, certainly certainly I felt this way, Jungle Book less a Lion King especially, which is that what is this technology adding to the story? Um, so I look at something like the Jungle Book, uh, the film was critiqued in part for kind of uh, erasing the songs from the story. You mentioned the songs, so they are kind of, um, but only in little pieces kind of rendered very differently. And in the case of Lion King, the songs are present, but... When you have this new computer technology that can create these photorealistic nature documentary animals, it's an amazing technology. It's amazing to watch. You will kind of blink a few times and think you're watching sort of real life, and that that's impressive. But does it help the story? Like, does it help the story that these animals are suddenly very realistic? Does it make the song stand out more? Does it match up to sort of the very inventive styles of animation that they originally used to bring these characters to life? Um, The idea that lifelike is the same thing as kind of being emotional or connecting with us, when we have such a connection to the original characters, I think is a really interesting question. And watching The Lion King last night, I had this realization of just sort of it's an amazing feat what they accomplished, but I don't really actually think it helps the story at all. In fact, I would argue it it created an emotional distance for me, that when the animals aren't as expressive, when we're not seeing the sort of cartoon, hand-drawn animation, bringing them to life, I feel like there's, uh, it's empty in a way. And I feel like that's where it's like, the technology can do these things, but is it actually helpful to the narrative has been a lot of the critical talking point about The Lion King in particular. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about the Disney remakes, which are all the sort of box office rage this summer uh, and have been for many summers. Uh, Disney rethinking stories that it told a long time ago, often with character changes or plot changes uh, that some people find maybe a little discomforting. Uh, the idea of rethinking stories from our childhood sometimes makes us feel uh, threatened or uh, or sort of cast aside. Uh, what do you think of these remakes? What are you making of what Disney is up to? Are you excited to take your kids Kids to see films that uh, at least have the same name of films that you saw as a kid and were excited about, even if they have different characters or different storylines? Uh, or are you really suspect of what Disney is up to and thinking uh, that uh, this is uh, an instance where we might have left well enough alone? Why retell stories uh, that were pretty good uh, when we were kids, as always, the number on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. A little later in the program, we are going to talk specifically about the reboot of The Little Mermaid and the controversy over the fact that the actress who will play The Little Mermaid uh, in the remake is African-American. A lot of folks were not real happy about that decision. Uh, What do you think of the idea of retelling these stories with uh, diversity uh, in, in mind? What do you think of retelling these stories in a way uh, that includes more people, uh, makes it more accessible to folks? Is that something that we ought to be doing or is that an example of political correctness, which is something that we've heard people say again. 313 577 1019 is the number on the phone. Um, uh, uh Miles, you saw Lion King yesterday, which is the latest uh, uh, Disney remake, and this is another example of them being able to to bring technology to bear on the story. Uh, this from the trailers, at least, yep. looks a lot more like. Uh, a live-action film than uh, a cartoon, even though it is uh, CGI and and is, is computer-generated. Uh, what did you think of The Lion King?
1: I mean, I think at the core of it, and the sort of, this is, I think, uh, at least critically speaking, the breaking point of these Disney remakes, where it felt like for a while people were like, okay, I'm not sure, like, why aren't they making original films? Why are we going back to this? I think Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin were both received very much in that light of, these are fine, but why are we doing this? The Lion King critically was largely criticized for the fact that if you go back, like The Lion King, in part I think is one of the most beloved films, often listed as people's favorites from that era. For certain for a generation who's now grown up to be in their 30s and media critics and those kind of things. Um, but I think the other question is: this sort of hand-drawn animation is an art form. It's a sort of beautiful rendered kind of you know notion of bringing character and life to a story, creating these sort of epic circumstances like. I just can't wait to be king is a musical number where the animals are sort of all in these like elaborate patterns. It's not realistic at all, but it's incredibly evocative. And so to see that recast in a realistic format is sort of, it feels like something has been lost. And at the same time, and this is where that question of like changes come in. The Lion King, it's pretty much the same film. Like if you need to go to the washroom and need to leave for five minutes... You can come back in and know exactly what happened if you've seen the original film, because it's just the exact same thing. Almost a lot of the dialogue is the same. Even a lot of the shots, the actual sort of compositions of where characters are in the frame are identical to what they did in the animated version. And so it's sort of like, it's an amazing technological feat, but I left the theater sort of just thinking, what did this add to the experience? and i realized it wasn't even just that nothing was added it was that for me something was taken away that part of the story was missing as a result of this technological change and i think that's where disney has to ask itself that question of if we're doing this and the cynical reason is for money then what are we adding to this experience what are we sort of changing what are we adjusting that can create something of value Beyond just a nostalgic feeling. So yes, I sit there in the theater and I hear Hakuna Matata, and the guy next to me is singing along, and I'm like, this is a fun experience revisiting something from my childhood. But yet, there's nothing from really for me any of these remakes where there's something new that's going to connect with me anywhere close to how the original did. All the emotional feeling I've had from these films has been nostalgia for the originals, and whereas there's nothing in them that has really resonated with me. That is new to this original kind of project, and that to me is sort of an indictment of the actual creativity being involved here, and kind of leans me more towards the cynical readings of the films. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Lisa in Rochester Hills. Lisa, welcome to the
2: show. Thank you. Um, I think a lot of the remakes and films and, uh, is sort of a takeoff on retelling the list or the story of making it softer, making it socially acceptable, like taking that book that we read in elementary school or high school off the reading list because it it might offend someone or it teaches something that is like real life that gives you that friction when you read it and makes you start thinking about what was this really trying to tell you?
0: Hmm. So, so, Lisa, can you think of some examples that uh, that, that oh, really bother you?
2: Well, not, not so much in, in film, but when you go into books, they've taken it off the mandatory reading list. So you, you can't. You can't have those experiences. They've
0: taken what off the mandatory reading
2: list? Well, the mandatory reading list of, let's say, a high school student, because it's no longer um, okay to read something like this, because it it has become
0: well, something a, like a, what? I'm I'm trying to get you to, to tell me. Uh, yeah,
2: I know what you're trying yeah. to do. I just can't think of any oh, any okay. you know titles that that have become controversial and they're not allowed to read them anymore in the schools, or they're not going to carry it in the library. Yeah. I think sometimes they do that with films, you know, they take away the idea of, you know, the imagination and how you can start thinking about how it interacts within our society.
0: Hmm. Uh, okay, uh, Lisa, I appreciate the call and the, and the perspective there. Uh, Dr. McNutt, talk about uh, the, this idea of cleansing, I guess. Right, uh, and I
1: think, in, in some ways, I think you... I think it's a slippery slope argument that Disney's sort of headed down that path. But at this point, nothing they've been remaking would be considered particularly problematic. Um, I think when we see Mulan next spring, I think we'll see the first film that has been sort of largely criticized in terms of its sort of Um, very sort of Western perspective on a Chinese story and that they're trying to sort of return that to its Chinese origins. That's maybe the first time where they're sort of making an argument that the original animated film was in some way problematic and we need to correct that. In the other cases, I think they're just slightly updating things that might not happen today due to reasons of kind of social change. But they're also not trying to erase the original film from existence. They're going to have a streaming service that has every one of these animated features there, and they're sort of not erasing that. But at the same time, like Disney has quite famously Song of the South, um, an inherent a film that was criticized for its racism at the time that has been basically stripped from memory by Disney um, as a result of that. And so if Disney was taking on those kind of projects and saying, we're going to erase this thing and redo it and pretend the original doesn't exist, I think that's where you could argue this is sort of part of a larger cultural trend. But I don't really think Disney is operating on that sense. And I think... If anything, Disney is trying to revitalize the value of its history by creating this contrast rather than trying to overwrite it. So if people feel like their childhoods are being threatened by any of these Disney films, Little Mermaid discourse is obviously built around that. Mm -hmm. Disney is not erasing the originals in these circumstances, nor are they even really trying to claim... That they're bad. They're rather just trying to suggest this is a new generation's version of a story and viewing that as cultural erasure or an attempt to sort of overwrite that process to me sort of ignores Disney's whole project, which is giving value to the original thing while creating value for a new thing. They're really trying to kind of put everything up on the same cultural pedestal. Yeah.
0: Okay. Dr. Miles McNutt, media critic and assistant professor of communication and theater arts at Old Dominion. It was really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to continue our conversation about Disney remakes next. We're going to talk with a film critic about the new Lion King. And a little later, we're also going to talk about race and these films. Uh, An African American uh, uh, will be cast as the Ariel in The Little Mermaid. A lot of people not really in favor of all of that. What do you think? 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We're talking this hour about Disney and its efforts to remake stories of old as new stories, and sometimes changing up characters and plot lines and arc uh, in a way that makes some people uncomfortable. Uh, the idea of watching a film that you watched as a child with your children, but that The principles of the film are maybe different or the story goes into a different direction that's not always the most comfortable experience we want to hear from you this hour about what you are making of disney's remakes are you rushing to the theater this summer to see the new lion king for instance Uh, are you excited about the new little mermaid in which an african-american actress will be playing ariel the the lead in that film uh 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to the wdet facebook page and put comments there or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Joining us now to talk more about some of these remakes is Jen Cheney. She's a film and TV critic for Vulture. Jen, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So you saw The Lion King last night. Uh, tell us what you thought.
3: You know, the thing that I really had a hard time getting past in the end is what was the point of doing this? You know, I mean, Why you can remake ap- it. Yeah, I mean, you can speak to the what they did technically uh, in order to make those animals look so real, and and the you know the the computer generated animation is extraordinary. Uh, certainly, you have great talent in the cast um, with Beyonce and Donald Glover and James Earl Jones once again. Uh, but it's more or less telling the same story with just some slight additions here and there, and it doesn't it doesn't really change your understanding of the narrative or add anything to your understanding of the narrative. It's just another version told with, you know, a different, slightly different medium, and I just aside from the fact that obviously people will pay to see it and it will make money.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> creatively, I wasn't sure what, what is the point of it. What did I learn more about The Lion King from seeing this? And, and I don't think I really learned much of anything more.
0: So so I wonder if you can talk a little more about the, the way this looks because I do think that is the principal reason that Disney remade it is that they are able to do things now that they couldn't do when that film was originally made and it does in the trailer i mean it looks real it looks as though these are actual animals and not just uh, drawn ones but i wonder if 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 that's convincing in the film in the sense of the the sort of emotion that that you have to get from you know the way characters look and the way their eyes move and the way their faces express emotion does it does it do more in this iteration than it did as a cartoon?
3: Well, you just hit the nail on the head. One of the issues that I had, which is the animals do look very, very real. It's really impressive. You would think that they were shooting actual lions, uh, you know, in an actual uh, savannah, and they're, they're not. It's all something done on a soundstage and done uh, with visual effects. Um, and, I, and I will say, you know, John Favreau directed this movie. He directed the live-action remake of The Jungle Book from a few years ago, which is still my favorite of the, these remakes that they've done. And the reason it was my favorite is because the fact that the animals did look so real, I, to me, that, that added a different element to the understanding of that story. And you had a human in the middle of it, and Mowgli, and it made the idea that he was really living with animals feel much more visceral and potentially dangerous than it did in the cartoon version. But... In the Lion King cartoon, you know, they're, really, they're basically doing Shakespeare, and they're also doing a musical. Mm. And you really do want to have that sense of emotion. And a lot of times watching this movie, it's like I'm watching a really good, you know, Disney nature documentary with Beyonce's voice in it, you know. <laughs> um, and, and I think you are missing some of that emotiveness that you really want in a story that's as epic as the Lion King is. And without any humans, it's an all... You know, all the characters are animals in this one.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Devon in Detroit. Devon, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Hey. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. What's on your mind? I, I guess one of my questions would be is, why should it matter as to the color or the hue of the person portraying the character if, the emphasis, I would say, would be on the the voice, the mannerism, the sense of the character, hmm. more so than what they look like. Hmm. Yeah, Devon. Great question. <laughs> and I think uh, that that gets to the heart of what our next discussion is going to be, which is about. Uh, this recasting of the Ariel character in the Little Mermaid as an African American and and why people uh, are upset about that. Uh, Jen Jenny, I wonder if you can uh, address that a little this this really hot controversy about Ariel and who she is supposed to be given that this is a fictional character first of all, but it's also a mermaid, which is an unreal. Uh, character. It's a fictional fictional character. Um, uh, it, it always astounds me just a little bit that people, um, that people get as exercised about this stuff as they seem to.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with Devin. It shouldn't matter in the slightest bit. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I would go a step further and say that if Disney is going to do these remakes and they you know, are showing no signs of stopping, that they should be trying to, to make them different. From from what they were before, and and you know casting them in a different way to me feels perfectly appropriate. And in fact, that was something I was thinking about while I was watching The Lion King. I mean, obviously, you can't see the actors; um, it's purely their voices. Mm-hmm. But when I thought back to the original, I mean, this is you know James Earl Jones was supposed to be the father of Simba, who was voiced by Matthew Broderick, which is sort of weird. <laughs> um, it makes a lot more sense to me that James Earl Jones' son is Donald Glover, and. You know, a lot of the voices in this in this new Lion King are are African-American voices. Um, And that, to me, makes sense, even though you can't see them. Um,
0: And it was always I mean, it's an African story. Right. Uh, Why? Why in the original? I think the question is, is we're not more of the characters uh, cast? as
3: Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, on one hand, you know, it, it shouldn't matter at all. On the other hand. It very much does matter when you're talking about cultural specificity. And this is a a conversation that's been going on, uh, you know, in the culture for a long time outside of even Disney movies. Um, You know, when you have a Chinese character and you cast a white actor, why do you do that? Why not find a Chinese actor? I I think in those instances it actually is quite important um, to be as accurate as possible. But when you're talking about a mermaid, who's to say... (laughs) whether the mermaid is white or black or whatever you know Um, I think part of it part of it is frankly is is racism a little bit um, when people have that really sure response but and then some of it is people have a very specific idea of these films from their childhoods and you tinker with it even in just the slightest way and they get really upset about it
0: Mm, Yeah, Uh, Devon thanks very much for the call And the comments, let's go to Andrew in Detroit. Andrew, welcome to Detroit today. Hey. Hey. Um,
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to um, point out a couple of things. Number one, um, it's really strange to me to see this, like, selective racism when it comes to these characters. In the new Spider-Man movie, for example, um, they recast the character of Mary Jane, uh, who's played by Zendaya. Um, and she's she's a mixed-race uh, young woman, and she plays Mary Jane pretty well, even better than I would say anyone else has in the past. But nobody batted an eye uh, when her color changed, when, she, when her red hair changed. So what's the difference between uh, Ariel and Mary Jane? Is it because... She's not the lead. Is it because she plays second fiddle to yeah. Peter Parker? Uh, what what where is where is the line?
0: That's a great question, Andrew. And and for starters, I have not seen uh, the new Spider-Man movie. My son has seen it twice. Uh, but uh, so I, I I guess I wasn't aware uh, that they had done that with the Mary Jane character, which is which is an interesting twist. Uh, Jen Cheney, why do we have different standards, I guess, when when we react to these things? I haven't heard anything about uh, people being upset about Mary Jane not being a white woman with red hair.
3: Right. I mean, I think part of it with the first of those Spider-Mans that came out, um, if I remember correctly, it wasn't even necessarily clear that she was Mary Jane like you kind of thought she was, but they were sort of cagey about which, which you know, character she was supposed to represent. Hmm. And they didn't, they didn't make as big of a deal of announcing is the new Mary Jane. Uh, and so, maybe people just got used to it I, you know i i don 't know I think, and maybe there's a point you know, as the caller said that she's she 's the quote unquote second fiddle and and Spider man is a more important character in that case um, but yeah, I mean there definitely are, are some double standards about what we get really upset about and and what we don't mm. um, especially in these franchise films yeah,
0: yeah, uh, Andrew, I really appreciate the call. Uh, in the comments, uh, let's go to Stephanie and Macomb. Stephanie, welcome to Detroit today.
4: Hi, Steven. Thanks for having
5: me. Sure. So I wanted to uh, quickly comment on the discussion today. Um, I saw The Jungle Book. Loved it. Mm-hmm. I saw Beauty and the Beast remake. Loved it. I haven't seen Aladdin, so I'm not sure on that. And I didn't see the new Spider-Man either, so I can't comment on that either. But The Lion King, honestly... I think that your uh, earlier uh, caller that you had on was right in saying that, you know, what does this technology add to the film? I don't think that it's – I'm not excited to see it, to be honest, because I don't think that that's really going to add anything for me. Um, As far as what the other films did, I enjoyed them, but I'm not excited to see The Lion King for whatever reason, maybe because there's no no dynamic between human and animal, and, you know, it's all CGI, so I'm I'm going into the film – knowing that these aren't real animals, but they're all talking, so I don't know. I kind of have a weird feeling about that. Um, But The Little little Mermaid, I have to say, I grew up with that film. That was my favorite film. I broke several uh, tapes of that film, watching it so many times, and I am so excited to see the new one. I can't wait. I have no problem with her skin color being different at all. I think she's gorgeous. I think she'll play the role phenomenally. I have no
0: problem with that at all. I think it's going to be great. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Stephanie, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Jen Cheney, tell me what you think of that.
3: Well, what she said is so interesting because when you do get excited about seeing a remake, what are you excited about? You're excited about, one, are they going to do something maybe different with the story that'll add to my understanding of it? And then two, what she talked about is, what are these new people that you're bringing to the story, or how are they going to interpret it differently? And I think in the example she was giving, like Beauty and the Beast, for instance, you know, it's exciting to see what's Emma Watson going to do as, as Bell? What what is she going to sound like? And that's what the Lion King doesn't have. Because again, you don't see the people. I mean, yes, you can hear the voices and, and, and hear the different way that they're uh interpreting the performance, but I think that's what's really missing, is they, they haven't really changed the story significantly and you don't really get to see you know donald glover and beyonce doing what they would be doing it's just they're hidden behind these um these unexpressive animals quite Mm. frankly uh (laughs) so i think the things that generally make us excited about a a reboot or, or a remake are kind of non-existent for this movie
0: yeah you know i wonder if that's a limitation of the technology or about technique in other words uh, are we not yet at the point where you can make things look as real as they did in this new Lion King and uh, infuse that level of emotion that you would be able to with a cartoon? Or was this just not uh, the, the focus uh, of, of the work that they were doing here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I just think that Disney needs to think very carefully about what it's remaking and, and why they're doing it. I mean, I can completely understand why they would think The Lion King makes sense. Uh, it's a hugely successful, popular title for them. You know they've made it into uh, a Broadway show, um, but again, on the Broadway show, you can still see people. And and the way that Julie Tamor staged that show was was like a revelation uh, and opened up this whole new world of understanding around that story. And I, and I think the fact that the Broadway show did set that bar also, in in a way, subconsciously makes you expect something of if you're going to make it again. You better wow me. And and it just doesn't really do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Jen Cheney, thanks very much for joining us here for this conversation on Detroit Today. You can check out Jen's work at Vulture. All right, up next, we're going to have a conversation about this controversy around casting an African-American Little Mermaid. Why are people so upset about that? Kim Trent joins us next. This is Straight Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. When the news broke last week about the casting decision for Disney's reboot of The Little Mermaid, Twitter went wild. Ariel, the film's protagonist, is going to be portrayed by a black actress and singer. As Kim Trent wrote in her op-ed about this topic, some took to the internet to call the decision political correctness run amok brings to light that a lot has changed since some of these movies first came out, and audience tastes have changed, and so have our values as a society, but there are some folks who are not ready to go into the future. Kim Trent joins us now to talk more about her op-ed and this controversy. Welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah.
0: So I have to admit uh, up front, I have not seen The Little Mermaid. Not once, not ever. Really? And- <laughs> I saw it one time. Now, that whole
6: era of animation was kind of when I was already in my 20s. I was say. But I did go back and I, I actually at the time watched it because I'm just a nerd that way. Yeah. But I I watched that. But I'm also a nerd in that I'm, I don't have that gene that women have that they like those princess stories. The princess stories. Sure. I, you know, like. God bless Meghan Markle. I'm sure she's a lovely person. I don't care anything about, like real royalty, much less like cartoon royalty. I just don't care. So that was one, like I remember watching The Lion King a whole bunch, you know, Mm -hmm. even as an adult Mm -hmm. and watching uh, Aladdin, which I loved as an adult because of Robin Williams. But that one just didn't connect for me.
0: Yeah, and and for me, it fell between childhood and having my own kids, right? By the time my kids were born, there were other animated films that they were watching. But I wonder if you're, uh, if, if you think that uh, there's something interesting or important about remaking this film with an African-American actress? Well, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question because
6: there have been all this, question, all this um, conversation about, like, authenticity when you talk about the kind of how people are portrayed. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that people were really angry about um, Ariel not being played by um, a white actress, um, you know, I think about the most successful play that's been on Broadway in the last, you know, 20 years, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked, Alexander, um, Alexander um, Hamilton did not have um, Puerto Rican ancestry. So <laughs> Lin-Manuel, I mean, there were ever, no one in that play, in that, you know the original Broadway version, none of them reflected the cultural heritage of the of the people who there. Well, ver- and the no one cared. It, right right and 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 really, um you know, then I think that some people say, well, why isn't uh, you know when when black characters or Asian characters are played by white actors, there is more um you know there's this these accusations of cultural appropriation sure. but I think that there's been such a lack of representation throughout the history of pretty much every media <laughs> there is on earth um that you know, we want to at least those roles that have been designed for and where, where your culture is important, where, you know, the, the color of your skin is an important element of the story. I don't think you can say that about Ariel because, I mean, it's not as if they were talking about lunch counters under the sea or you know, something that <laughs> happened that would make who, um, you know, what color she was significant. And the point that I'm making in the piece that I think is really important <laughs> for us <laughs> to remember is that mermaids are not real they don't exist (laughs) right let's be clear about
0: that this is not a real thing as as i said earlier you know this it's a fictional uh story but this is a fictional character in the fictional story i mean it's fictional fictional so correct the the idea (laughs) of getting upset about what color she is right for instance strikes me as as an overreaction no i think it's kind of
6: cultural narcissism too like you can't relate to this person because and not person, mermaid, which is something that doesn't exist um, because she doesn't have white skin. And I mean, I just started thinking my own childhood and who had black skin when we were watching movies right. and, and TV when we were Nobody. no one. There were like two shows, you know, that, you know, my and even it. I I watched a lot of shows that were great that didn't have any people. Privilege. I don't think that in 2019 that should be the reality anymore, but. You know, we're gonna throw away the Twilight Zone. You know, or you know all these great movies and, and television shows. Um I, I can't imagine having the kind of worldview where I say, "I will not watch." You know, because yeah. this person doesn't look like me. I mean, right. how self centered can you be?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones if you want to join the conversation about Disney remakes and the cultural questions that they are raising. Let's go to Orlando over on the east side. Orlando, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Hi, Stephen and Kim. Hey, man. What? This is Orlando Bailey, correct? Hello, a Orlando. Of mine. Yes, it's Orlando <laughs> Bailey. He's I really from the east side. He's really from the east
2: side. <laughs> I am really from the east side. <laughs> Listen, I, I had a comment
3: around uh, what a previous caller said about uh, the uproar Around Halle Bailey being cast as Ariel, and essential uh, silence around Zendaya playing Mary Jane, hmm. and I wanted to up. Uh, what was coming up for me is this black color spectrum in America. Where lighter skin is way more palatable
2: to mm-hmm. white
3: normative society mm-hmm. than a darker skin girl with kinky dreadlocked hair
2: yeah. uh, mm-hmm.
3: playing Good these point. characters that were traditionally non people of color, mm-hmm. and I just want I just wanted to lift that up and see what you guys uh, thought about that's that, a really it, it's real
0: that's a really it's interesting real. uh, a point Orlando, and as I said. The caller, you know, I haven't seen this movie either, so the I Spider-Man was I was unaware that they had even that they'd even done this mm-hmm. uh, in the movie, and it, it sounds like something that that you know is kind of an interesting cultural uh, iteration of that story. But but I think you mm-hmm. you raise a really important point that it's easier to do that if uh, if it's a, a brown skinned person, Correct. as opposed to a really dark skinned mm-hmm. uh, person. I mean, that's well still, Zendaya,
6: um, you know, definitely I think it. Um, you know, has kind of this multicultural sort of look that does not, I think Orlando is right. I, I mean, as much as we'd like to think that we have advanced on that front, there are certainly some black people, black women particularly, who uh, really almost exclusively black women, because I don't think the same that holds true for, you know, Idris Elba, or, you know, there are a lot of um, brown skin or dark skin and black men who are able to um, be embraced can, by the larger culture, but I think transcend, right? correct. Yeah. But I think that is certainly more difficult for, for brown skin um, black woman. So I, I think that's a really valid point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Orlando. Good to hear from you here on the program. Let's go to Aaron in Ferndale. Aaron, welcome to the, the show today. Yeah. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Hey.
4: Um, I just wanted to say there's uh, as a little girl growing up watching the little mermaid. That was actually my favorite Disney movie growing up. And, uh, as a mother of two girls, that was one of the only Disney movies that I didn't want my girls to watch for a number of reasons. <laughs> yes. So I'm very glad that they're remaking it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that two of the most important things about Ariel were that she could sing and that she had amazing hair. So mm-hmm. I don't think the color of somebody's skin affects how well they sing or how beautiful their hair is. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Halle Bailey has both of those things. So good for Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Disney's come a really long way with remaking these stories about women and giving girls more power in their mm-hmm. in their movies, like Belle and Ariel and Jasmine. Um, I mean, I guess we'll we'll see with Ariel. Hopefully, they I think they have a lot to, a lot of work to do with regard to the Little Mermaid, but yes. uh, the track is going with Frozen <laughs> and Moana and mm-hmm. Belle. I think they're on the right path, and I'm I'm now letting my kids watch princess movies. I am also not a princess culture gal, but. Mm. Uh, Disney's
6: come a long way so
4: I'm
3: glad to see it I think that's
6: a really important point too I mean um, that's part of the reason why I think that movie didn't resonate with me first of all the whole idea that in order that it's more important for you to have a relationship with a man than to
0: have (laughs) your talent magical powers you know like
6: you're going to give up literally your magic your black girl white girl whatever girl nor made magic to be with a, a man, I think, is a pretty negative, backwards Oh, come kind on, of. Kim.
0: That's the way the world works, right? <laughs> it is
6: the way the world works. I don't... That doesn't mean I have to be happy about it. I mean, it's unfortunately... But I think we're certainly moving away from that. And to the extent that, you know, with Mulan and some of the other um, iterations of these stories, they're trying to... People are trying to be more intentional about not sending those messages, I think, um, is a good thing. Because um, one of... Them, somebody, Desiree Cooper, wrote a great piece where she just said, you know... Actually, I think that um, Halle um, Bailey could do better than <laughs> Ariel. Get a like, better role. Right, yeah. Right? You know, that's why... why Get a um, more empowered role. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping that they'll take a look at all of that. Yeah. I mean, and there
0: it, are there, there are all of these things about these stories and mm-hmm. about Disney and its history that evoke all kinds of cultural and social problems right. that we have or reflect those problems. Well, I, I heard you say. in the earlier
6: conversation, you know, talk about Song of the South, which, yeah, right, I mean, I actually, right. I'm really aging myself here, but... Somehow I actually saw that movie in oh, the theater. Sh- I, I, I mean, it was too. after, you know, obviously its first run. I'm not yeah. quite that old, yeah. but, you
0: know, but, <laughs> but when I we were did kids, see it. The they were showing, they yeah, were showing they these were show- movies in theater. Yeah. yeah.
6: Yeah. And and just, to, I mean, you know, again, it was, was so saying, rare that you would see a black person on stage. And then when you see <laughs> Uncle Remus as the guy, you <laughs> get to feel, that's probably not who you want to have as your
0: first positive role theater model. experience. <laughs> that's right. Aaron, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Marianne and Macomb. Marianne, welcome to Good Detroit morning. Today. Hey, how are you? Good
4: morning. Um, good. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that I think that this is really a, a uniquely American problem, where where people are looking at this recasting um, with you know such a haul, um, because if 20 years ago somebody said to you, "Describe a witch," and you would say, "Oh, you know what." Um, a white woman from 1600 Mm -hmm. um, New England. Mm -hmm. But when the movies from J.K. Rowling came out, there was black witches, there were Asian witches, there were witches from, you know, all over. And then when they got to the fourth movie and there were mermaids, Mm.
2: they were ugly
4: and they were, you know, nobody looked at what color they were because she'd already crossed that barrier with Mm -hmm. those movies.
0: That's a really interesting Point Marianne, the 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 Harry Potter effect. I mean, and and a story that is convened around the idea of a boy witch. I mean, as Mm -hmm. as the as the protagonist. I mean, you're -hmm. you're right that uh, that's not something we would have seen a long time ago. And it's uh, it's it's a way that I guess storytelling is uh, evolving in the movies. I really appreciate uh, that reference. Let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to the show. Hi,
1: Steve. I am. a little bit uneasy with with black characters recasting previously white characters. Mm -hmm. I I come originally from Africa. I grew up reading uh, Snow White, Lady Bird books, all these white characters. And for me to see them being played by black people, I just want to appeal to black writers and black creators. Please, let us create uniquely black characters. Mm. There are a lot of black good stories out there you know, it, it is part of our emancipation. Let's create our own characters that wow. are uniquely black characters with yeah.
3: black stories. There are lots of them out there.
0: Yeah, Thank Jay. You, you know what? I, Jay, that's I, a great I actually great really point.
6: agree with him. On, you know, I remember a few years ago they made a remake of Steel Magnolias with an all-black cast. And I love that movie. That's one of my favorites. But I just thought there's so many great stories about black women. Why do we have to just... Changed the skin tone of this right. other kind of unique story about this Southern white Which family and its, its community, own, right. and it's a great story. But we have so many great stories of our own to, to tell. So I, you know, I, I had to admit I was a little annoyed. I never even watched it. But yeah. and, and right. I, again, I love the original. I've seen it a thousand times. You yeah. know, so yeah. yeah.
0: All right, Kim Trent. Uh, always great to have you here in studio. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for us today. We'll be back on Monday for a conversation about the role of systemic inequity in the Flint water crisis. We're going to talk with Professor of Social and Cultural and Analysis and History at New York University, Thomas Segrew, one of my favorite people, will be here for that conversation. I also want to give a very special thank you to our associate producer, Gus Navarro. It is his last day here at WDET and he's going to be missed. Good luck in your next endeavor, Gus, and thanks For everything. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.